maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I'm one of those weird guys that likes to uh, uh, watch golf from time to time uh, on the on the TV. Um, I use that term loosely because usually it means turning it on and then taking a nap and then figuring out who won after I wake up. But uh, professional golf is is winding down. Uh, the the PGA Tour Championship uh, ends this next weekend. Then the Ryder Cup, which you know is named after our family. Uh, if you've played with me, you know that's not true. But uh, no, they're, they're, they're winding the FedEx Cup, and they'll crown a champion. Uh, and uh, with the with the rise of several uh, great young players, uh, as well as Tiger Woods now back on the links, uh, golf, uh, literally, whether you knew this or not, but golf is is uh, uh, about as popular as, as it ever has been uh, in the United States, uh, for sure. But that's not always been the case. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the story or not, but in the mid-1800s, so a bunch of years ago, uh, then-president... President Ulysses S. Grant had never heard of this game of golf, and a, a, a Scottish golfer came to the United States and wanted to demonstrate it to introduce the game to, uh, to uh, President Grant. And uh, he was nervous playing in front of the president, obviously, but uh, he uh, he put the ball on the tee and he lined up his shot and, uh, and, and took a big swing. And he hit the turf and spewed uh, dirt and mud and grass everywhere, including in the president's beard. Uh, but the ball was safe. It had not been touched. Uh, president and his advisor standing around watching, and, and he's even more nervous now, and he lines the shot up again and takes another swing and, and misses again. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the ball continues to uh, just stay there. Uh, the story goes that the, that the president waited patiently through six full tries uh, before quietly stating to one of his advisors, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball, he says. Kind of, kind of true sometimes. I've golfed with some of you. So No, I'm just kidding. Uh, many times we miss our purpose. In life, our direction isn't clear. We have trouble focusing on what's really important. We we can't seem to hit the ball, so to speak. Uh, sometimes we ask ourselves, well, "Why am I here? Oh, what's the point? Or what's what's the the meaning in all of this? What's the meaning of life?" Well, there's a great line in the in the movie Pearl Harbor when uh, after signing up for the British Air Force in World War II, uh, 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 Ben Affleck's character tells one of his uh, uh, commanding officers, he says, "I'm not anxious to die, sir." just anxious to matter. I'm not anxious to die. I'm anxious to matter. I, I, I want what I'm doing to matter. Does that resonate with you at all? Does, is that something where, where, I mean, I think down deep, if we really ask ourselves, most, most people want to matter. We want our lives to have purpose. The problem is that a lot of times we, we don't, uh, we, we wonder what that purpose, are we really on the right track? And today we're continuing this, this uh, series on heroes and we're looking at people in the Bible who did extraordinary things for God. And these are uh, Bible stories that maybe you learned growing up and maybe you didn't. Uh, but, but the danger is that we put these people and these events into the category of, oh, those are those, those are the, the kid stories. Uh, Nick and I were at a, a garage sale out of town a, a few weeks ago. And uh, Nick started asking uh, the people if they went to church and uh, they didn't. And then he started asking them uh, what Bible stories were their favorites and tar- started talking about some of his favorites and d- if they knew them. And the one lady finally said, well, I, I guess I remember some of those stories uh, as-, as a child uh, when, I- when I went to church uh, growing up as a kid. Uh, he 
proceeded to invite them to church, but we were four hours away, so I don't think they're coming. But, uh, but, 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 um, uh, the, the danger is, I think, that, that we put these things, these cute little stories in the Bible. Maybe we make some cartoons about them. And, and, uh, my prayer in this series is that we'll discover that these Bible heroes were, were real, ordinary people uh, that God did extraordinary things through. And, and if he can do things through them, then maybe he could do things through us too. And so last week we looked at Noah and we, we discovered that, that God wants to, to, to make a difference through us. We just need to walk faithfully with him like, like Noah did. And, and this week we turn over to the story of a strikingly beautiful queen named Esther. She shows us that heroes recognize that God has a purpose and a place for us. The book of Esther is uh, is 10 chapters long. We don't have time to go into all of the details uh, of, of the story this morning, so I just want to give you the gist or the setup, so to speak. There were, there were Jews living in Persia, and they were under the rule of a king named Xerxes. So King Xerxes, he needed a new queen. He gathered up a bunch of single ladies for the first ever season of The Bachelor. Uh, this is exactly, uh, you know, they've had about 3,000 seasons since, but this is the origin story of that show. Um, this, if he needed a, a queen. Uh, they brought all these women along. They did all this stuff. And finally, uh, he decided on uh, Queen Esther. She, she was secretly a Jew, but no one really knew that. Uh, she won the, the, the king's heart. Uh, her father figure, Mordecai, had a conflict with one of the king's close, uh, close advisors, Haman. So those are kind of the main characters in the story. You've got King Xerxes and his advisor, Haman, and you've got Esther and her father figure, actually her cousin, but uh, he, he had raised her, uh, Mordecai. And, and so those are the, the main characters in the story. Haman developed a, a plot to kill all the Jews. And, uh, and, and Mordecai found out about it and he let Esther know about it. She's, she's in the, in the king's court. Uh, he asked her to talk to the king on behalf of her people. But Esther was a little bit cautious in that and didn't necessarily want to do that. She was concerned for her own safety in that. If she approached the king without being summoned, she could die. But, but Mordecai challenged her and that's where we pick up the story in Esther chapter four, uh, beginning in verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Last week I told you the definition of a, of a hero, uh, in addition to uh, another name for a submarine sandwich, that we're pushing that one off to the side. But a, a hero is a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. I think Esther uh, fits that definition. Uh, courage, outstanding achievements, 
noble quality. So Mordecai challenges Esther and, and he says this, you may have come to your position where you are right now. Uh, it could very well be that you are there right now for such a time as this, for this opportunity. Could that be true in your life? It might be hard to believe. We tend to move through life as, as if it's just this, this random circumstances happening, uh, one after the other. But, but, but what if it's not? What if there's, what if there's a purpose in this? What if God has a plan? And what if His plans include you? You're a hero when you realize that God has a place for you. God has a place for you. John Maxwell puts it this way. God not only has a place for us, he has placed us where he needs us. The decision is ours as to whether we will do what we can where we are. He not only has a place for us, but he has placed us where he needs us. And the decision, our decision, is simply whether we will do what we can where we are. Sometimes we struggle with with knowing God's plan for our lives. Last week I, I told you that you're a hero when you walk with God. And so if you're walking with God, there's much more chance of of getting clarity on on what it is than you're supposed to be doing because you're walking with God and you're 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 sensing his direction and and his leadership in your lives. What if what if his plan for you simply is do what you can where you are. I've placed you there for such a time as this. If you're walking with God, then he's placed you where he needs you. So as we look at Esther's life, I think there, there are several truths that we can learn about, uh, about God's place for us. One, one is that, that God's place for us is seldom comfortable or easy. Have you ever done anything that's been quite a stretch for you? Um, I remember my, uh, my, my sister-in-law surprised my brother-in-law for his, was it his 50th birthday? 40th birthday. That was a long time ago. He's old now. Um, with, uh, with skydiving, an opportunity to go skydiving. She didn't tell him. A mystery trip, driving up, they get to the airport. She, he thinks she's joking. And uh, long story short, um, they got their money back and he has not ever been skydiving. He was not willing to step out of what was comfortable in order to, uh, to, to, to stretch himself in some way. I, I, I remember uh, I was in, in eighth grade um, and, I, and I, had a, uh, I had never really been on roller coasters much, if at all. And in eighth grade, our, our class went to Cedar Point for a class trip at the end of the year. And, and I went around all day. I was the guy who sat on the bench and uh, watched over the souvenir cups and the big stuffed animals. That was me. I was that guy uh, making sure that nobody stole the stuff while everybody else rode the big rides and had a great time. Uh, I mean, everyone kept saying, oh, come on, Pete, you can have it's fun. You can do it. And, and I, I mean, bottom line, I was just chicken. I didn't, didn't want to do it. I was scared. Finally, someone convinced me to ride the mine ride, which is the wildest and craziest roller coaster in the history of sea. It's still there. I just rode it a few weeks ago. It's still just as tame as it ever has been. Uh, you know, you go up this big hill, which isn't really even a big hill, and you get up and then you go down about three feet. 
and then kind of, anyway, I loved it. It was, it was awesome. It was great. I got right back in line and I wrote it again. And then, uh, the rest of the day, they had to find somebody else to watch their stupid cups and, and, and toys because I was going to be riding the roller coasters. And, uh, I remember, uh, I got word just as I was getting on the, uh, the corkscrew for the last time, for the second time that it was time to go. And, uh, I ran out of time because I'd wasted the whole morning, uh, not riding roller. I, I finally, there are certain things that, that stretch us that, 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 that we're afraid of stepping into and it could be as simple as eating new foods or or as dangerous as as bungee jumping or or cliff diving or uh, we all tend to avoid certain things that are outside of our comfort zone right our routines, our patterns, our attitudes, uh, the ways we handle things. Our comfort zone is what is easy and what is predictable. Uh, it, it's what we're comfortable with. But usually when God calls us to live for him in the place that he has us, it means leaving the comfort zone. It usually stretches us. It usually grows us. Many times our first reaction then is to shy away from it. Uh, we back down or, or we just say, no, I'm not, not doing that. Uh, entrepreneur and author Michael Hyatt puts it this way, but the really important stuff happens outside of your comfort zone. Outside of your comfort zone is where you grow, where you find fulfillment. Uh, staying comfortable never helped anybody grow. Uh, Judge me if you want to. I was watching uh, Seinfeld's series, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Brian Regan, maybe you've seen him before. Uh, he was uh, sitting in one of the cars as, as Seinfeld, and they're driving along. And, and, and Brian Regan says it, says it this way. He says, you know the butterflies when you get the butterflies? I always say that the things you remember in life are the things that happen right after you had butterflies. So you should never avoid the butterflies because those are the memory makers, he says. Judging from Esther's first reaction to Mordecai's request in our story, I'm thinking she had the butterflies. Uh, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't necessarily excited about jumping into this new opportunity, this new venture. She was, she was nervous. She was scared. The, the, the comfortable thing would have been to, to hang out in the palace and eat bonbons and hope that nobody ever found out that she was Jewish. But that wouldn't be fulfilling her purpose uh, in the place where God had her. So Mordecai challenged Esther and 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 uh, her place in the king's palace and and her access to the king and said that that's probably uh, by God's design here, Esther. And and you need to step up and 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 do what God is calling you to do, even though it might be dangerous. It might be outside of what's comfortable or expected. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do? Finding God's will for your life might be as simple as assessing who you are and where you are. <laughs> and then stepping out of your comfort zone to meet needs right there. Where he has placed you uh, just might be, uh, you, you just might be the one to accomplish his plan in that place for such a time as this. Being a hero means leaving your comfort zone. It also means doing something. We, we can't just, uh, once we leave the comfort zone, uh, it, we're, we're going to actually be active in this. We gotta do, Esther had to do something. She couldn't just sit back and wait and assume that God was going to work out his plan. She decided to act. Uh, she saw the risks, but she moved ahead, not blindly, but with 
preparation. She prayed and she fasted and she called others to do the same and then she stepped out in faith and after three days she went to the king knowing that God had a plan and she determined to do what needed to be done because God had placed her there. When we decide to follow God and and to live in the place that that he has designed for us, there is action that is required on our our part. We can't just be passive. We have to do something. One thing that meant for Esther is is, was practicing spiritual disciplines in order to know God more and to discern his will. We read it there a few minutes ago. She did this intense three-day fast. Now, usually in the Bible, fasting uh, is uh, is is about denying yourself of food, but uh, but but you can still drink water. I mean, you, you go too long without either one, uh, the fast isn't going to end well, right? Uh, it might end prematurely. Uh, but uh, but this was a, a mega fast of sorts, uh, doing without food or water three days, three nights, uh, kind of to the limit of where you want to be, and and so. She she, she said, I'm going to do this. Mordecai, I want you to do this. I want you to tell your fellow Jews to do this. I'm going to have my royal attendants do this. And, and so I'm going to spiritually prepare before I ever step into this and go to the king. Just a little side note, I guess. Fasting is, uh, is kind of foreign to us. We hear a little bit about it leading up to Easter. You might give up something for Lent, and that's that's great and that's good, and uh, that that has has helped my experience uh, in in celebrating uh, the resurrection at times. Uh, but for some reason, fasting isn't all that common in our society. Actually, for many reasons, probably uh, maybe it's because we're we're not used to denying ourselves much of anything or delaying gratification much at all. Uh, with with fast food and, and fast cars and microwaves and same-day delivery and self-checkout and pay at the pump and instant credit and uh, the list goes on. And I, it just Fasting just seems like this ancient, out-of-date, irrelevant thing. Why in the world would we want to say no to anything when yes is so easy and so quick? Maybe because it's good for your soul. Maybe to help you reconnect with the God who has provided all those things for you in the first place. Maybe to focus. Maybe to, 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 to grieve. Maybe to humbly ask for God's intervention. All of those are, are reasons to fast. In the Bible, fasting was a regular practice for, for God's people. It was normal. It was part of their, the ebb and flow of life. Uh, there were times when they fasted because they were in mourning, a, a loss of a loved one or a, a crisis, a national crisis or a family crisis. And, 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 and so they would, they would fast in, in the face of that. Other times fasting was a, was a practice to, uh, to focus on God, to get things back in proper perspective. There were, there were feasts certainly in the, in the uh, celebrations of the, the Jewish people, but also there were some of their celebrations uh, in, incorporated fasting uh, in order to kind of get back on track and to, 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 to realize who, who was the one providing for them. And, and then there are times uh, recorded in Scripture like this in, in Esther where fasting was for a specific purpose to seek God for, for, for one specific thing. Inherent in all of those reasons is the number one goal of connecting closer with God. That's why people would, would fast, so that I can connect closer with God. Uh, author Richard Foster writes this about fasting. The theological significance of fasting is that the denial of bodily needs for specified periods of time focuses the soul for greater attentiveness to God. So we're denying ourselves of, of what we think we need, realizing that, uh, that, that we can focus now on God. If you want to grow closer 
to God, fasting is one practice that might do your soul good. Especially in times of crisis, uh, fasting can prepare you for what's coming. Well, Esther, uh, not, not only did, did she act in, in faith, uh, through that spiritual preparation, she, she took action in preparing herself spiritually, but then she followed through and she went ahead and went to the king. Uh, she did the hard thing. It was risky, but, but she didn't just talk about it. She didn't just, just pray about it. Uh, she did it. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, saw this part of the, uh, the, the Nike, um, ad campaign that came out. Go ahead. Um, I don't know if you saw this one in the paper or not, but, um, Colin Kaepernick, she is not. Uh, but uh, hey, believe in something even if it means sacrifice. That's exactly what she did. She believed in it so much that she she was literally willing to to die for it and and to step. You can go on to the to the next one there, Tim. Um, but we do that. We we talk about it. We say we'll pray about it, but we never really step into it and do it. A lot of times, when it, time comes to act, we hang back. It's kind of like the kid at the pool who brags about going off the high dive but never really does anything more than sticking his toes in the water. God requires that we jump in with both feet, that we get in over our heads. I think in over your head is exactly where God wants you. Esther was in over her head. She couldn't, she couldn't do anything there. She was relying on God to come through on her behalf. If you can accomplish it on your own without God, I believe your purpose is too small. God's place for you is always more than you can accomplish on your own. Heroes do something. As you're doing that, God's place for you produces passion and courage and confidence in you. Knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and then doing it is a very confident place to be. I, 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 I can sit, I have this peace and this confidence and this assurance that I'm in the center of God's will. That's a, that's a, a an amazing place to live. It's about trust and reliance on God. As we draw near to Him and He reveals His plans for us, we get excited about those plans. We get passionate about that. We're excited about what might actually happen. And we, we, uh, as we get that excitement and that passion for accomplishing God's plans, then, then we develop more and more courage and we step out and do what He's calling us to do. And, and so as He enables us, we get more and more bold to do whatever He's asking. I'm reminded of, uh, uh, of a little book, as I was walking through this story this week, I was reminded of a book that that uh, we used to read to our kids. Um, I have it here. So it, we did so much that the binding <laughs> is uh, is broken. Um, We're going on a bear hunt. Is the is the book? See a picture of it there. Um, it's a sing-songy chant of sorts as you walk through the the, the pages. Uh, a sing-songy chant that I will remember for the rest of my life until the day that I die because it is a sing-songy chant that sometimes just goes through my head just because it does, just because it's been repeated over and over and over and over again. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared, right? And so the kids chant this, and, and, but then as they're chanting this, they, they come up to obstacles in their path. And, and uh-oh, there's long wavy grass, or there's a deep cold river, or there's thick oozy mud, or there's a big dark forest. There's even a, a whirling, swirling snowstorm. 
And what do they say when they encounter these seemingly impossible obstacles? They're insurmountable. They say, uh, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh Uh-oh. And then there's this obstacle. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And then they go through it. It's a great story to teach kids how to read and to teach them what under and over means and, and all those sorts of things. But, but I think it's also a great description of life. We're marching through life and everything's sunny and bright and we're, we're bold and we're smiling and nothing is stopping us until the obstacles come. And they come. You've seen obstacles in your lives. We've all been there. And we wonder what's going to happen and we can't seem to see a way over it or under it or around it. And we feel like running home and diving under the covers. But God says, no, you've got to go through it. We've got to go through it. Sometimes I think we're tempted to cry out to God in the face of those obstacles and crises uh, and ask him to just, well, just take that away. Just wipe it off so I can have a smooth road. I, I, I got to get through here, God. So, so just get rid of it. But, but what if, what if maybe we're not supposed to find a way over it or under it or around it? Maybe going through it is exactly what God wants for you for such a time as this. Heroes are bold and courageous. God's place for you isn't always fun and easy sometimes it means stepping out of that comfort zone it means acting even when when we don't want to necessarily and and it might mean going through the obstacles it also and this one's uh maybe a little bit uh we, we need to get some perspective here god's place for someone else isn't necessarily god's place for you and I think we sometimes live vicariously through other people and, oh, well, they're doing that, so I'm going to do that. Uh, but this is a personal calling. Mordecai was not in a position to talk to the king. Uh, other Jews in Susa uh, couldn't do what Esther was going to do because she was in that place at that time for that purpose. There are a lot of things. I know there are a lot of things that all of us should be doing for God. And many things are just right and, and they're part of living a righteous life. And so we need to all be doing those things. But, but we also need to realize that no one else has your exact per- mix of, of personality and talents and passions and gifts and opportunities. Uh, of course, Esther was, was queen and she could make this big, huge difference, right? And, uh, uh, Sometimes we say, well, I can't do much. Well, Mordecai did what he could do. We didn't read it, but he had overheard a plot against the king earlier and, and, uh, had told someone about it and, and they, they, uh, thwarted the plot and, and, uh, he was rewarded for that. Then he heard about this plot against the Jews and, and he couldn't do anything except to tell Esther about it. Uh, he was in a, he was in a place to do what he could do so that Esther could, was in a place so she could do what she could do. Uh, I don't, I, none of us here are going to Japan, but Royal is. I, I don't know sign language. He does. Uh, it's it's a unique place uh, where God is calling him for this season and, and Royal is seeking to make a difference. Who knows what God is going to do through Royal Nikolai this year? Who knows, but maybe he is going to be in that place for such a time as this. 
Who knows? God knows. What position are you in? Maybe you're not going to Japan. Maybe you're just going to work tomorrow. Oh, well, nothing big flashy there. What, what can you do that no one else can do? What influence do you have that no one else has? You are a hero when you realize your unique place because God has a place for you. His place usually isn't easy or comfortable. It requires action on your part. It produces passion and courage, and it probably means doing something uniquely geared to who you are. I don't know, maybe you still don't see yourself as a hero, but maybe you should. You're, you're a hero when you realize that God has a place and a purpose for you. So live like it. You are in this town. You are in that job. You are in your school. You are in this church for such a time as this. So let God use you to have a spiritual influence in the people around you right where you are. How are you letting him use you for this time, for this season where he has placed you? After church last week, uh, someone shared a great example of this. Uh, she talked about a coworker who had asked her to pray about something, knew she was a Christian, and uh, had asked her to pray about something. And then, then a few weeks later, she came back and and, and said, "Hey, that situation I asked you to pray about—it's it's getting a lot better." Uh, and and she said, "Well, I've been praying." And then that coworker proceeded to go in through the rest of the office and spread the word, the gossip that uh, that so and so, if you have anything to pray about, so and so has a great connection because because uh, it's working, right? That's a spiritual influence on the job right there. Who knows? God might just use you to make a spiritual impact in someone's life, an eternal impact in someone's life. Your unique personality and your gifts and your talents and your abilities and the opportunities right where you How is God using you to make a spiritual difference in the lives of people? You are a hero. Who knows? But that you have come to where you are for such a time as this. Will you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We, some of us may have a, an inkling or a clue or a pretty solid uh, idea of, of what it is you want us to do, uh, to be doing. For others of us, uh, maybe you need to uh, nudge us and, and move us in the right direction. Lord, right now, we just open ourselves to you. We ask that you would uh, reveal to us, uh, perhaps in this moment or, or perhaps in, in, the, in the days ahead as we seek you. Lord, I pray that we can see that there's, it's not about us. It's about you through us. And so we're willing and we offer ourselves to you and wherever you have placed us and, and wherever we're living in our families, in our, in our jobs, in our school, in our community, Lord, I just pray that you will use us to make an eternal difference in the lives around us. Because Lord, we know that as your followers, you desire to make that difference through us for this specific time. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we anticipate what that is, I, I, what those things are that you're going to be doing in and through our lives. I just pray that you would, that we would sense your, your leadership and your guidance and your anointing in our lives as we live for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.